Hello everybody, welcome back to Model Student. This is your host, Alexander Rain. This is my third time <laughs> starting to record the episode of the intro because I am a perfectionist by nature, but with this episode specifically, I want to do it just right because this is the episode for me. This is it. If nothing else. I hope you listen to this episode. I hope you remember this episode. Um, I hope this is the episode that leaves uh, an imprint. So I'm not even sure what I'm going to title this. Yes, because it like covers is going to cover so much, but we'll start with the basics. Um, it's still Black History Month. I hope you're celebrating. I hope you're learning. Um, and so the past couple of episodes, I've been highlighting a important black person who, um, has made history within the fashion industry. And that theme is continuing today. We're going to be learning about Beverly Johnson. And I was excited to do this episode because she's so iconic But as I was learning more about her, I really truly began to relate to her. And I feel like I know her, even though I've never met her. Um, I would love to meet her. That would be an absolute dream. But I really do feel this kinship towards her. And part of the theme, not part of, (laughs) the entire theme for Black History Month this year is health and wellness. And I was debating back and forth if I wanted to um, keep highlighting important black figures in fashion or if I should take a pause and talk about health and wellness because that's a theme and that's also something I'm quite passionate about. I studied psychology at university. I, you know, have experienced anxiety and panic attacks from a very young age and so I (laughs) am very familiar with it and can attest to how important it is to take care of yourself um and we're gonna get into all of that and it actually intersects really quite well so thank you for being here we have a fun ride to go on and I'm just so grateful that you're here okay so a few things to know about Beverly Johnson in this episode I'm going to give you a little outline of what we're going to get into so you're prepared so we'll begin by talking about um, like career highlights and personal history of Beverly Johnson's um, she's quite the advocate for representation within the industry and not just like on the surface level like models on the runway but really on an administrative level as well so we'll talk about that and um, her activism there and what she said And she's also an author of two books, one of which is um, an account of her mental health journey. And then from within that, we are going to talk more about the theme of this year's Black History Month. And then also, I want to share, I want to share some things. I want to get a little bit personal um, so that's what we're looking at. I always like having outlines. I anyway. So I hope that that I hope that was helpful for you. That's outline. That's what we're doing. We're here. Let's go. Okay, here we go. We're getting into part one, section one. I feel like a proper lecturer right now. Um, 
if visual was included in this, you'd see me in front of like a PowerPoint, the clicker, wearing a blazer. But um, this is <laughs> this is only audio, and I'm like fully have Aquaphor lathered all over my face, and I'm in my pajamas. So different, but let's just let's stick with the classroom energy. So here we go, section one. Um, Miss Beverly Johnson was born on October 13th, 1952. She's currently 69 years old, but genuinely does not look a day over 40. Please, like, pause this. Go look up a photo of her right now. She is absolutely beautiful, and I would love to know her skincare routine, but nonetheless. Um, she was born in Buffalo, New York, and she was raised by her father and his wife, Gloria, her father worked as an electrician and her stepmom was a surgical technician. So she went to junior high, high school, all in Buffalo, all was normal. As a child, she was described as being gawky and tall. Gawky, that's such a funny word, gawky. Like lanky, but gawky. Okay, anyways. Um, she did have a younger sister who allegedly (laughs) she believed was far more beautiful, but it clearly runs in the family. I haven't seen her sister, but if she thinks her sister is more beautiful, she's absolutely stunning. So the genetics in that family are, como se dice, elite. (laughs) Um, Anyways, as an adolescent, she was interested in sports and she was mostly focused on swimming. She was on a swim team and won championships and she nearly made it on the U.S. national team in the 100-yard freestyle for the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City, but she did not. Um, she began modeling in the 70s, and I'm going to pause right here. We're going to pause on Beverly Johnson because I just want to remind you of um, Donia Luna, and this will be clear why it's relevant so Danielle Luna is credited for being the first black supermodel she was also the first black woman on the cover of British Vogue in 1966 I believe don't quote me on this but I believe Danielle Luna might have been the first just black woman on Vogue period like any of the um like Italia Vogue Portugal Vogue like Mexican, you know what I mean? I'm pretty sure. Not 100%, but like I want to say I'm like 95%. Regardless, she was the first black woman on the cover of Vogue in 1966. That's all you need to know. So back to Beverly, she began modeling um, in the 70s. And she was the first black woman to appear on the cover of American Vogue. And she didn't grace the cover until 1974, which was bit later than I anticipated. I I think mostly just because I knew that Donia Luna was on the cover in 1966. Um, but nonetheless, like such an accomplishment. And also a year later, after her 1974 Vogue cover, she was the first black woman to appear on the cover of French Elle magazine. There's a really fun video that Vogue did um, with Beverly Johnson talking about that cover, the 1974 cover of Vogue, and I'll link it in the show notes, so there we go, um, so she's kind of like a pioneer, (laughs) if that wasn't already clear, um, she has the title of being the first black woman to do many things, 
and she's still alive and relevant today. She was actually in several shows this past season of New York Fashion Week, and she is the moment, quite simply. Um, So here are some highlights of her career. So she signed with Ford Agency. From what I understand, had initially turned her down. But sometime in between 1970 and 1974, it worked out. She got signed with Vogue and she was one of the highest paid models. She appeared on more than 500 magazine covers. That's insane. Um, She also followed the model to actress pipeline. Um, She began studying acting with Lee Strasberg. I pray to God I'm pronouncing that right. Um, who was a well-known acting teacher. So she appeared, started appearing in films, feature films, in the late 1970s, including Deadly Hero, The Bar Inn, um, Crisis in Sun Valley, and she also had a guest starring role on Emergency, and that was all between the years of 1976 and 1978. Um, and she began... Like, she has actually quite an extensive acting career. If you want to look up her IMBD, IMBD, that's what it is, that website. Um, And her work as an actor and model continued throughout the 80s. But more recently, in 2019, this is so iconic on so many levels, she walked the Tommy Hilfiger um, Zendaya show, which, let that sink in, like, that show is so legendary. If you haven't watched it, go on YouTube and watch it. It is, in a word, fun. It is so... Like, the energy is unbeatable. It's just iconic, simply put. Um, and, okay, so that's section one. Congratulations. We're advancing now to section two. <laughs> We're rolling, baby. This is section two. I am so nervous about this because I I want to do it right. You know what I mean? Like that lecture vibe is kind of gone. And now I feel like the TA teaching like graduate students were like very close to my age. And I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up, you know? And because this, this is so important. This is the section that made me, like, admire Beverly to, like, have complete and the utmost respect for her and, like, really, really appreciate who she is as a person. Um, Because for me, it is always... How do I say this? I'm always grateful that's the word. I'm always really grateful for people who are in a position of power and use that to better the world, which is exactly what Beverly Johnson has done um, in advocating for representation, diversity in every single facet of the modeling industry. So she created the what is known as the Beverly Johnson rule, which I'm reading this from the CDFA's website. 
the Beverly Johnson Rule proposes that corporations in the fashion, beauty, and media industries interview at least two black professionals for each job opening, beginning at the level of the board of directors, C-suites, and throughout the company, including editors, photographers, makeup artists, stylists, and beyond. Um, more so that executive bonuses be tied to meeting their department's diversity goals as established by the boards and CEOs. Lovely. Like, I just wanted to pause there to, like, kind of, like, let that sink in. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I am so glad that on runways, in magazines, on TV shows... In the media, we're starting to see more black women, black men, black people. But, but, it has to come from top down. (laughs) And here's the thing, when you're starting to be... Um, when you're at the beginning of your career in modeling and acting, whatever it may be, you're like at the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> and like, in not to say that you don't have any agency or any power, but it's like you have a brand, you have the brand's, you know, executive people. Then you have the casting director who then goes through the agencies. And then there's like the photographer and the hairstylist and the makeup artist and the creative director. And then there's you. And that's not, to say you're not important because you are because you're the muse you're like in the front face of it but it's also important if there's representation at the bottom I'm using bottom like very loosely that there's also representation at the top and I guess actually maybe the very bottom bottom of that would be the the consumer um but I'm getting semantics so we don't need to (laughs) I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get to um anyways semantic here but it's important that there are executives who are people of color it's important that there are hairstylists who know how to work with black hair um on set because still black women today black models black men black people are having to do their own like hair on set which is like that's embarrassing as a company come on now come on and also like I listened to the episode that I did with Tanisha um a little while back but she's a brilliant hairstylist and she talks about like her experience in hair school it's just like it's good listen to the episode I'm not gonna um you know borrow her words but all I'm trying to say here is representation needs to exist at every single level. And our girl Beverly actually said the same thing. She said, I want the state of fashion to look like the runways right now with more black, black models and models from around the world than ever. The way the industry looks to the outside world is how it should look on the inside. I don't want to go into the boardroom of a major company and see all white men on that board because it is not representative of the demographic of America and probably not representative of their consumer base either. Absolutely brilliant. Um, she also goes on to say, diversity is good business. And diversity is good for business too. There are many studies that have proven that corporations and organizations that are diverse bring in new ideas 
and cultures, and people can learn from each other's life experiences. The advantage of a diverse organization is more creative thinking and perspective. Um, I just, I, if you don't know, am the director of Lost History, which is a, um, educational program dedicated to making marginalized history more mainstream and just being inclusive and if anything else like (laughs) the hill that I will die on is that inclusivity and representation matters it matters in fashion it matters in history it matters in curriculum it psychologically speaking is so important for people to feel like they belong and there have been studies shown for example with children and children's books having say for like an Asian child an Asian character who's the protagonist and does well and isn't you know stereotyped and same goes with black children Latinos um queer kids beyond it gives them it does wonders for self-esteem to be able to see that you are not alone. I could talk about this. I could actually make an hour long episode on my representation is so, so important. And not like Johnson talks about this here on like a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Commercial value of why diversity is important. It's good business. But beyond that, the part where she points out that um, diversity bring in new ideas and cultures and people can learn from each other's life experiences the advantage of diversity is more creative thinking and perspective so even if <laughs> for example if you are white and have always felt represented and it's like okay why does this matter how does this apply to me consider it <laughs> consider it beneficial to you because but one, nobody gets hurt when other people are included and we're all more welcoming and loving of each other. But two, it gives you a chance to learn. And on that note, follow at Lost History. <laughs> um, no, really, I don't I don't wanna get too I mean I will get very preachy with it because I again care a lot about this, but Okay, I got so excited talking about representation that I kind of got a little bit ahead of myself and forgot to include some more quotes from um, Beverly that I wanted to share. So she says, after my 1974 cover, I shot hundreds more, literally 500 if you recall, um, including two more covers for Vogue. I was the first black model on the cover of French L, but my race limited me significantly lower compensation than my white peers. The industry was slow to include other black people in other aspects of the fashion beauty industry. I was reprimanded for requesting black photographers, black makeup artists, and black hairstylists for photo shoots. Silence on race was then, and still is, the cost of admission to the fashion industry's top echelons. Brilliant, isn't it? So the conclusion that I want to be taken away from section two and possibly just honestly from this podcast as a whole um, is that representation matters 
and the Beverly Johnson rule is absolutely brilliant and it's one that I hope companies not just in the you know entertainment and fashion industry but beyond include because we all benefit from it period (laughs) I you know it's like I again I don't want to it's I don't know it's just like you either get it or you don't and if you don't get it let me break it down for you really quick and simple we cannot advance without each other that's all I'm gonna say okay final section section three um stay with us stay with me because we're gonna be moving quick actually probably not because I feel like I talk quite slow but um if Beverly Johnson earned my respect and appreciation in the second section in this section she has earned not earned but I felt like a very deep connection to her um and I'll tell you why She's the author of The Face That Changed It All, which is an MR, and A Consumer's Journey to Mental Health Recovery. We, it feels kind of odd to be like, <laughs> like sharing the history on someone's mental health, but um, this is all, these are all her own words. So I, I hope it doesn't feel exploitative. It shouldn't because she's been open about this herself. And, I think being open about mental health is important. Um, Except on TikTok. TikTok's mental health... uh, I don't even want to call it coverage. The way that people talk about mental health on TikTok actually is um, horrible. But this isn't that. This is a safe space. And maybe one day I'll do a whole other episode about the over-pathologizing on TikTok. But for now, we're going to focus on... Um, Beverly, I do want to let you know that this section is going to be sensitive. Um, we're going to be talking about eating disorders. We're going to be talking about addiction. We're going to be talking about um, mental health. <laughs> so it ends up in a bright light, but you know, sometimes, uh, not me, about to say the most like cliche sometimes it has to be dark for there to be light that was gross I hate that that almost left my mouth but um you know sometimes you go through it so in Beverly's words she has experienced bulimia anorexia depression um she lost her daughter in a custody battle and she was also an addict specifically with cocaine um I don't think it's <laughs> like a surprise that like models um in like the nineties and eighties were using cocaine and Johnson says that it was actually welcomed shocker <laughs> by ins- uh industry insiders because cocaine kept you thin. She says the skinnier you were, the more fabulous you were which okay, pause not true (laughs) just disclaimer that is not true not true okay but that's what she said and honestly like according to like most 
industry people, yeah, that's true to them. It's not true to me, and it's not true to you. She goes on to say, (laughs) um, drug use was encouraged. It was like, oh my God, you are chiseled to the bone. All the things you needed to be a high-class model, high cheekbones, bright eyes, that was all provided by drugs. It was like being offered a drink. It was one of the perks. People around us always had it. Um, She admits that there was a period of time where she indulged in at least one gram of cocaine per day. (laughs) Pardon me. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh, I need to... (laughs) Pardon. (laughs) Um... Sorry to interrupt such serious conversation with my sneezes. Um, Anyways, like most addicts in the industry, Johnson confesses that she wasn't eating, um, that she was anorexic and only drank black coffee um, and had like a glass of champagne. And she says, and this is so sad, She says, we didn't even drink water. We thought it was fattening. This is the most important part. This is the most important part. She says, we thought it was glamorous and expensive, but it was all a delusion. She admits, Johnson admits, there was a time where she almost overdosed. She recounts, it felt like my heart was going to come out of my chest. You think you just want to lie down, but that's when you die. Um, And she says, I'm lucky to be alive. She goes on to say that she's never been more afraid her entire life. She said, I realize drugs could kill you and my daughter would not have a mother if I didn't get help. In addition to eating disorders and addiction, um actually quite early on before she publicly acknowledged that she in 1997 went public um to say that she had been suffering from panic attacks for many years beginning in college and here I I'm gonna sound so neurotic here but whenever I hear that somebody else has had panic attacks and like has had them continually I'm not going to say it's like, oh my God, yes, because panic attacks are miserable and it's like not an experience that I want anybody else to have. However, on the other hand, it's so validating to know that you aren't alone in that. And I think we can all acknowledge like, okay, I I feel like most people, I think mental health is, the stigma around mental health has decreased significantly the in recent years um and um I'm trying to think how to say this without sounding incredibly vain I was in um a group therapy for panic attacks and that was really validating like okay there are other people here who suffer from this just as much as I do but it's slightly different when there's somebody who is so publicly acclaimed and celebrated and important and, you know, has power. And to hear them admit, like, I have panic attacks too, it does, it's like especially validating. And I hope it's not like vain of me or superficial of me to say, um, 
I guess too when it's like I really do look up to Beverly Johnson and when I read that she had panic attacks again I wasn't happy but it was like okay she's successful and she's suffered she's gone through the same thing that I have I don't know how to explain it and how to put it into words and I don't know I guess <laughs> this is what feeling uh validated does I guess it just makes me completely speechless but let's talk about it let's talk about panic attacks um I am gonna be vulnerable here Trigger warning, uh, intimacy coming up. I'm about to share some things. I <laughs> had my first panic attack when I was nine and I have had them ever since. There have been pockets of time where they've been like on weekly occurrences and sometimes they're 10 minutes long. Other times they've lasted all throughout the night and, um, I will say what has helped me more than anything honestly has been going to therapy and understanding why I have that response and um, how to calm my body down. Also, what really helped, oddly enough, was taking a cognitive neuropsych class and like objectively like, oh, this is what my body is doing when I'm having a panic attack. This is what my brain is doing. Um, So I guess the point in that is if you have had a panic attacks or just anything that you know any mental health thing go to therapy (laughs) always what I'll say to like literally anybody and everyone but um I wasn't sure if I wanted to share this I'm honestly still quite scared to but what the hell why not why not you know it because that's the thing it's like even though I just said like oh yeah mental health stigma is like decreased it's like wait, why am I so embarrassed to talk about panic attacks? My panic attacks, you know? Um, But the reason I want to share this instance specifically was um, because it happened on set and it's the only time that I've ever had like a panic attack while working. Um, And also like in a really public space. I mean, I've had panic attacks before in public, but this was like all eyes were on me type of thing. Um, and actually, so when this episode releases, it'll be the 22nd of February and, um, Atler Delphine, which is a company that I worked with are releasing their new collection. And that was actually the set working with Atler Delphine that I had the panic attack, (laughs) that I had the glorious panic attack. It wasn't like fair disclaimer. I had nothing, 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 nothing to do with, anybody on set everybody was so kind so welcoming um we shot in September I want to say and at that point I had just finished university there's a lot of transitional things and I feel like school has always been like the biggest point of stability for me and like my biggest sense of like purpose and accomplishment and that structure was all like ripped from me and my routine was gone and I just, you know, I'm a sensitive girl. There was a lot going on. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty, but, um, it, it, most of, we had done most of the looks already, but there was still a few left and truly out of nowhere, I just felt like I was going to faint and like my knees were giving up on me and the photographer said like, are you okay? Like, do you need a minute? And I was like, no, yeah, I'm good. Like, (laughs) 
ignoring my body and just trying to push on and a minute later I was like I'm gonna pass out and I was like I'm I need to sit down and see like I'm like oh this is so like I'm still I still am so frustrated at myself that it happened but again it was like really a panic attack and ever since the word that it just came out of nowhere and there was no anticipating it and my body for so long had just been on such high alert and my nervous system was so uh, hypervigilant and hyperactive and lying to me because I wasn't in any danger but I felt like I was and um, I went to the bathroom and it cried and when I had panic attacks recently like ever since 2020 like my body like shakes uncontrollably and I can't like calm myself down and I like my breathing got very hollow and it was awful it it truly is awful and I it was also like like it was just like I am supposed to be working like I am making everybody on set stop because I am anxious I'm so anxious and I can't get it under control and I'm mad at myself and anyways I don't know how much time passed I don't not like honestly it was probably like 20 minutes from when it started to calming myself down I think or it felt like that at least and actually serendipitously enough coincidentally um lunch had arrived so everyone like all of the everyone was eating lunch having lunch break while I was like calling my aunt crying and like okay why can't I go up down and um just getting regrounded in the present moment and it ended up being fine we ended up finishing the looks and everybody was so understanding about it and didn't make me feel like an idiot anymore than I already did because I was so just angry at myself for letting that happen um I had a really actually special moment with the creative director Yoku she had come back to check on me everybody had at one point which was so sweet and she said you know like I chose you because I read your book Growing Pains and she championed the part of myself that I was so angry at myself for in that moment which was how sensitive I am and she said actually let me find it really quickly because this is like a message that I cherish and honestly look back to to this day um hold please <laughs> hold um she said she said life is harder but i think it is a better one if you are sensitive you feel more a lot of struggles ahead but when you're 40 you will be at ease at least a little bit but not bored which is the core meaning of life she sent that to me after our second day of shooting and I don't know why I feel the need to share this. You're maybe like, tomato, tomato, boo, bore, but I don't know, just that. And also, to be fair, the panic attack group that I was in was in, like, it was several years ago now. Several. It was two. It was fully two. I'm acting like it was a decade ago. It was two years ago, which feels like several. Um, So I guess to, like, 
re-receive that validation that somebody as beautiful and accomplished as Beverly Johnson could have panic attacks like that just felt like I don't know like just like a warm hug like I how many times have I said it you're not alone I'm not alone we're on this together and I, I don't know I just wanted to take a little detour from Beverly Johnson's history to share I guess my experience and thank you for listening and holding space for that um deep breath if you need it inhale exhale my one of my friends teases me quite a lot because of how often I like how well one how loudly I breathe but also how like well it'll be like we're just driving and like inhaling exhaling like doing a breathing meditation because sometimes you just have to anyway so let's get back on track so back to Beverly Johnson um in addition to everything that she talked about with her mental health she has also been very active in charity work and speaking out about health issues. So in 1980s, she worked as an AIDS activist during the AIDS epidemic. Um, she also, in the early 2000s, announced that she had a hysectomy. Uh, um, why was that so hard to say? I don't know. Um, that she said that she probably did not need she became a paid spokesman person for Johnson and Johnson during um a uterine health info campaign and she was just really open about um wanting women to be open about health choices and it was just cool and so this is also kind of fun fact um Bill Clinton at the time he was president, named her Goodwill Ambassador of the Fashion Industry in the 1990s because of all of the activism that she was doing. And the reason why also I wanted to bring up her health history um, anyways, because I know that can seem quite invasive, is because this theme for Black History Month is health and wellness, um, which I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, but I think any health thing whether it's physical or mental can feel really isolating and alienating and scary and just wanted to talk about it um I just wanted to talk about it and I feel like it's important because we've had you know (laughs) all we've gone kind of through the ringer about talking about it I wanted to on the flip side talk about how important um taking care of yourself is and Audrey Lord has a quote um, that implies that self-care is a revolutionary act, and it 100% is. My therapist actually shared that quote with me uh, when I was going through the thick of it, having my panic attacks on the weekly. Um, and the quote goes, this is from Audrey Lord, passed down from my therapist to me and now me to you. The quote goes, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation and that is an act of political welfare. So self-care is been like heavily monetized now and capitalized. And listen, I love going to get facials. I love skincare. I think it's important to invest in things for yourself. Um, but I also feel like self-care has been marketed as like 
buy yourself this self-care and it's like eh, maybe self-care is like let's stick to our budget this month whatever it may be um but by definition thanks to the oxford dictionary um self-care is the practice of taking action to preserve or improve one own self so maybe that's buying yourself a treat maybe it's going to therapy maybe it's going on medication if need be maybe it's talking to a friend going to bed early watching a tv show um, I think it's important to remember that self-care looks differently for everyone. Everyone's going to have a different routine. Um, and the reason why it's important, and the reason why I'm even talking <laughs> about it on this podcast, we're kind of straying away from fashion, but it's like you can't do anything unless you're well. And like the root of the foundation of everything that we do, I think has to be wellness and not in the like wellness, like goopified version, like basic wellness nurturing yourself like you would a child and somebody else making sure that you're checking every little box on Maslow's hierarchy of needs like your basic needs are fat you're eating you're sleeping enough you're drinking enough water you're doing things that are fun you feel loved and like you're loving other people and anyways I I can we're not going to talk about the ins and outs of of Maslow's hierarchy of needs but Self-care is important because it has clinically been proven to reduce the symptoms of anxiety and 40 million adults in the United States um, have anxiety. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness and I think whether or not you have been chronically anxious, I think everyone at some point in the past couple of years with the pandemic has felt, felt anxiety in a way Um, that they haven't before and in addition to reducing anxiety self-care rituals and practices can reduce stress and symptoms of depression and on the other side taking care of yourself can minimize frustration and anger while increasing concentrations abilities joys and energy um and i know i hope that doesn't seem too random to be talking about this it just like it made sense to me because it's like okay black history month the theme health and wellness who are we talking about beverly johnson oh and beverly johnson happens to be a health advocate queen perfect perfect absolutely perfect um the conclusions that i (laughs) conclusions plural because we talked about a lot in the section that i want you to take away is one don't ever be embarrassed about your mental health. I think that's actually like the biggest thing. In addition to you're not alone. Taking care of yourself is hot, sexy, fun, and cool. Um, but to even people that we idolize and glamorize. Supermodels that have been on the cover of over 500 magazines. Have had panic attacks. And have had. Gone, have gone through. Have experienced emotions that we all feel. You're not alone. I love you. Hey, we did it. We got through it all. Um, thank you so much for listening. I know we kind of like went all over the map, but again, this episode felt so important and I'm just so excited to share it. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I just want to end on words that Beverly Johnson herself said she says and I feel like this remember this stamp this in your brain she says 
46 years after my Vogue cover, I want to move from being an icon to an iconoclast and continue fighting the racism and exclusion that have been an ugly part of the beauty business for far too long. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. I love you. Bye.